Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's good to see all of you here this morning, and for those of you that are visiting, welcome to our church. Uh, we typically are, work through the, the, the Bible, and we have been uh, on pause in the book of Acts, and uh, in two weeks we're going to resume that, um, but right now we're in the middle of a mini-series really just talking about uh, just the, how the church works as far as elders, deacons, and congregation um, for the benefit of our own church, and uh, want to certainly uh, welcome you to join in that conversation this morning. I would invite you to get your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, we're not going to preach Acts 6, um, but it is going to be the, one of the source texts that we're going to look at, as well as 1 Timothy chapter 3. So get your fingers in there. The verses will be up on the screen, and um, Lauren's going to come, and she's going to read God's Word for us this morning. And I would invite you to stand together as we read these passages, all right? So Acts chapter 6, we'll begin there um, at uh, verse 1. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. First Timothy 3, 8-12 Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Thank you. Lord, we come today, um, Lord, in awe, first of all, of, of who you are. We have sung, Lord, about your greatness, your righteousness. We've sung, Lord, about the, the wonderful privilege of the, ho the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Um, and Lord, we, we ask, Lord, for that, that movement, Lord, to continue even now, as we come and sit under your word. But Lord, we, we ask now that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, Lord, you would give us. And what we are not, you would make us. And Lord, I ask now as your mouthpiece that you would allow the words that, that I declare, Lord, to be the words that you want your congregation to hear. And that you would strengthen us, you would build us up, Lord. And you would help us to be the kind of people that you're calling us to be. We ask this now in your precious holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, today we continue part two of our mini-series entitled Partnering Together, 
how Team Gateway achieves unity through diversity. And you may not comprehend the Team Gateway part, but if you listened to the sermon last week, you, you'll catch that. But in this series, we're looking at how uh, two, uh, the two offices of elder and deacon partner together with the congregation to maximize gospel health and activity in the body of Christ. Uh, we saw last week a number of, of illustrations or motifs that are used in Scripture to describe the church. A body with many parts and Jesus is the head. A temple with many stones of which Jesus is the cornerstone. A flock with many sheep where Jesus is the chief shepherd. A household with sons and daughters and God is the father. The point being that the church is made up of diverse parts but those parts must work together for the benefit of the whole. And last week, if you remember, we looked at the first of the two offices, the office of elder, and we said that qualified elders are called by God to lead his church. Elders are a plurality of male shepherds or overseers chosen by God, recognized and affirmed by the church, whose primary responsibilities are to feed, lead, protect, manage, and heal the sheep. And here at Gateway, we have a plurality of elders that work together as co-equals. And I serve as the leader among leaders in my role as teaching pastor. Now we're going to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. This is a really helpful text when we're coming to this subject. And you'll see that as soon as we begin to read it. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 reads this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You get the, what's happening here in this introduction. This one verse of greeting, we have all three distinctions. The elders, called overseers, the deacons, and then the congregation, all the saints. So in summary, these three groups partner together in the following way. Elders lead, deacons facilitate, and the congregation serves. And so today we want to look at what the scriptures teach about the second office, the office of the deacon. Now, someone has rightly said, whereas the office of elder is often ignored in the modern church, the office of deacon is often misunderstood. And in my experience as pastor, having served full-time in five churches and been in a number of others kind of in kind of training or preparation, all of them having different models, I must wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Much of the church is just completely confused and misunderstands what the role of the deacon is. The title deacon is thrown around without careful thought and means different things in different churches. So our goal this morning is to consider what the scriptures teach about this office of deacon, not what church tradition teaches or what a particular denomination teaches to allow scripture to speak. And our goal then is to conform ourselves to that. So let's begin by looking at several Common, uh, commonly distorted views of the office of deacon. 
And I want to walk through this because I think we all recognize this. We've all probably experienced it. Maybe you were one of these um, and and kind of wrongfully put into a place. But these are helpful um, for us to consider. First of all, pastor in training Pete. And, you know, know, the idea here is like, oh, so Pete, now that you're a deacon, uh, when are you going to be an elder? As if the office of deacon is simply a stepping stone to something greater or it's training wheels to become an elder. And in some denominations out there, that is how the office of deacon is used. It's the beginning spot, so to speak. Another, another misunderstanding is toolbox Terence, right? His deacon is far more aware of how to navigate through Home Depot than he is how to navigate through the Word of God. But he can build things. And in my experience, having been a pastor and having a season where I wasn't full-time in pastorate and I was filling pulpits around, I can tell you in the Bay Area, there are lots of smaller churches that are being held together by a guy who hung sheetrock in the building. And by golly, he's going to hold on to this church. But there's not really a passion for getting a pastor in, but he's a deacon. And he built something, and so he has ownership. There's nothing wrong with that. There's an appropriateness to that. But just because you know how to fix things and build things and create things does not equal being a deacon. Spreadsheet Sam. Our church budget is a mess, someone says. We're looking, for a, a, or looking at another financial shortfall, and we don't really have any clear projections uh, for the next fiscal year. Why don't we make Sam a deacon? Doesn't he fix people's money problems for a living? Now, being a wizard with finances is a good thing, but it does not equal the qualifications for being a deacon. Then there's corporate cliff, and this one's been huge through the years. Just because a man is gifted in business and served on the corporate level, he may know how to administer, he may know how to organize and get things done, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is qualified to serve as a deacon. And yet in many churches, that's a shoo-in, that's who we need. Then there's Vito Vinny. Vito Vinny basically sees himself as sitting on the church leadership, and he's there to keep the pastor humble. I've actually had someone say that to me. Pastor, my job is to make sure that you are kept humble and you don't have that much control. That's... Power in the church. American democracy has no place in the body of Christ. You're not going to find that here. Yeah, people are going to put these men forward to help solve the problem, but that is not a picture of American democracy. When we bring American democracy into the church, we're in dangerous territory. Leaders are supposed to oversee the church. Okay? Then there's pseudo-elder Steve Welcome to First Baptist Church, where the, where the pastors say things and the deacons run things. The pastors, you can get up there, you can do all your preaching and stuff, but, but the deacons are the ones who actually are in control with, with what happens at the church here. Okay? Now, friends, these are all distorted views of what it means to be a deacon. Now, you could probably add a few more there, but hopefully this helps you think a little bit about what is common for us. Because I, I, w- I would expect that as you came in this morning, if I ask you the question, 
Think of someone you think should be a deacon. You probably are leaning more toward these kinds of things than you are with what God actually says in his word. Why? We've been conditioned this way. See, deacons are not the church's spiritual council of directors, nor the executive board to whom the pastor uh, or CEO answers. They are the cavalry of servants deputized to execute the elders' vision by coordinating various ministries. Deacons are like a congregation's special ops force carrying out unseen assignments with fortitude and joy. So my proposition this morning is this. Qualified deacons are appointed by God through his church to release the elders to shepherd and facilitate the congregation to serve. Right? Qualified deacons are appointed by God through his church, that's talking about the process, to release the elders to shepherd and facilitate the congregation to serve. And in Acts 6, we have recorded for us the prototype example for the ministry of deacon within the church. Now, we don't see deacons there. These aren't, guys aren't chosen to be deacons. And we don't have elders there. We have the apostles. But the apostles ultimately will, will become elders. Elders will be the ones responsible in the various churches to oversee those churches. And what happens here with the seven really reflects what we're looking for in deacons. So, as we read today, Acts 6, hopefully some things came to mind. Let's jump in now and see, first of all, the need for deacons. Deacons are needed. Let's read verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Interestingly enough, even within the Jews, there was potential for division between Hellenists and Hebrews. The Hebrews were Jews that were living in Jerusalem, that were, say, born and raised in Jerusalem. The Hellenists were those who were Jews who had been born and raised outside of Jerusalem in the various places around the Mediterranean. But now they're back in Jerusalem. And so there's this kind of like subtle division going on there, and there was a complaint saying, you know what, the, the, the Hebrews, Hebrew widows, they're getting the distribution, but the Hellenist widows, they're being neglected here. In verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up our preaching, or preaching the word of God, uh, to serve tables. Now that's not elders being arrogant, <laughs> All right? They're not like, well, we're above this. That's not the point at all. They were overwhelmed, and because they were overwhelmed, they were not able to, 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 to be prepared for what was most important in the church, and that was the ministry of the Word. And so I put here just kind of as a summary, and each of these points will have that summary, deacons serve the elders and the congregation by maintaining unity in the body of Christ. The real issue here wasn't the feeding of the widows, but the potential for division in the church if the problem was not attended to. And friends, this is really important because unity in the body is critical. And deacons come along and they're there to preserve that unity. This is just one example of a conflict or a problem that was potential in the church. So let's first of all consider here that deacons are peacemakers looking to restore 
unity. Every church needs people who have eyes and ears to see and hear discouragements and neglects and, and ministry needs, while at the same time are willing to be part of the solution. Deacons do that. They notice what needs to be done and find ways to do it. In that sense, they are agents of peace. And they look at a problem. They see what needs to be done. They get others to help them to solve it. As a result, people are thankful and unity is maintained. They're peacemakers. Secondly, they are shock absorbers. You might say, well, what is that all about? Because what they're doing is they are protecting the elders. They're saying to the elders, we've got it covered. We know you have to do these things, so we're going to step in and we want to take this off of your plate so that you can focus on what is most important. One of the churches that I was actually the church I first pastored, and um, it was a small church, um, but we had, um, we had a lot of things that were going on in that church, but there was one man that would come in at least twice a week and he would see that I was in counseling with someone or I was preparing a sermon or doing something. He would always ask the question, hey, pastor, what can I help you with? What can I take off your plate? And he would. And I would, I would learn to, to give him things and to trust him with things, things that I didn't have to do. I mean, I was the one-man show. I was printing the bulletins, doing the bulletins, setting up chairs. And I was, I was that guy. It was okay. I'm not complaining. I loved it. It was a wonderful time. And we did what, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then other things. I mean, so it was a lot of stuff going on. And he would be there, and he would take on that physical responsibility. For me, as a pastor, it was wonderful, right? Deacons are shock absorbers in that, in that sense. They liberate the elders. Third, deacons are servants. They're looking to meet the physical needs of the congregation. They're looking to be those facilitators. The elders are called to direct the affairs of the church. We find that in 1 Timothy 5.17. And the deacons are called to support that direction. The deacons, having been directed by the elders, facilitate the congregational involvement to make the elders' vision a reality. Here's what we want to do. Here's what needs to be done. The deacons step in and they take that vision and accomplish it for the benefit not just of the elders, but for the benefit of the congregation. Okay? So if food needs to be taken to someone who, who is sick, the deacons facilitate the congregation to meet that need. If tables and chairs need to be set up for an event or some kind of a church activity, the deacons facilitate the congregation to meet that need. If food or drinks need to be purchased for a church training ministry, the deacons facilitate the congregation, use their gifts, and those things are provided. That's just what deacons do. Right? They're there um, as, as servants to be shock absorbers for the elders, which ultimately means they're maintaining the unity of the church. That's the need. And there is a huge need for deacons. Secondly, let's consider now the qualification of deacon. And you'll notice in this passage, uh, something. It says uh, in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint uh, to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So what God cares about here, most in a deacon, is not competency, but character. And friends, this is where we often miss the boat. 
Did you catch, as we read Scripture earlier about the, the qualifications of the deacon, there is no mention about competency. All the qualifications for a deacon are about character, 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 right? Pick out from among, among you seven men who are good at administration, know how to handle food, can get people through a line in a streamlined fashion, and have experience working with grumpy widows. Is that what it says? No. What's more important to the Lord is character. It is so easy to miss that point, isn't it? But we tend to think of competency first. If I had asked you, hey, who in this church do you think would be a good deacon? Likely you would have thought, well, who's good at doing this and who's good at doing this and who's good at doing that? But Scripture says, first think about who is godly. For example, if we need a deacon to oversee the counting of the church offerings, the first thing we're likely to think about is who is good at numbers, right? Now, it's not an unimportant question. It is an important question. That person needs to be good at numbers, but it's not the most important question. The first question is, does this individual have the character to help preserve unity in this manner? In other words, do they have integrity with money? Are they honest? Do they have a good reputation in the church? Will they keep confidentially about uh, who is giving and how much? Can you count on them to record the contributions accurately and then deposit the monies into the bank in a timely fashion. Those are all character issues. So this passage is telling us that an unskilled deacon can recruit competent and skilled help to meet the need of the moment. So to be a deacon over a particular area doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be competent in that area, but you have the godliness to be able to see and know who would, and make sure that the work can be done. Now remember, the goal here is for deacons to restore the unity that had been challenged. The restoration of unity was their primary role. And in this case, in Acts 6, good administration was their primary means. So as we think about the qualifications of a deacon, I want us to consider three things. First of all, godly character, you see it up on the screen. Seven men were chosen based on their character. Men of good repute, we're told first. In other words, they had proven themselves to have good, a good reputation among the community of believers. Their lives had been on display in the context of the church. People knew them for who they were. They're trustworthy, they're honest, they're faithful. Secondly, they're men full of the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This speaks to what motivates them. They're motivated to do things that are furthering the kingdom. But they're also motivated by the Holy Spirit's activity in their lives. They're characterized by being transformed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. They have a good conscience. They're quick to forgive. They're loving, joyful, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled. And then they're men full of wisdom. The idea of wisdom is actually a word that is talking about someone's skill or ability. Right? Steph Curry is a wise basketball player. It's not because he's, you know, he's going down the court and he's like, um... No, it's because he's skillful at what he does. So men who are 
full of wisdom here. We're talking about biblical wisdom, wisdom that comes not just from man, but from, from the Lord. They're able to be skillful with God's truth as well as God's, God's ways to accomplish the things that need to be done. So these are the qualifications that are listed in our text. Now let's just say, for example, that we need a deacon to oversee the parking at Gateway. A godly man is identified who meets these qualifications, and so he says to the elders, elders, I'm here to take this burden off your shoulders. I'll recruit some others who want to serve and who know about cars and parking lot regulations and handicap requirements and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry. We will have it up and sorted in about two to three weeks. He's saying to the elders, we got this. And I'm going to recruit people who know about this. What does that do? Releases the elders, serves the congregation. Okay? Someone has rightly said, if you want to find a qualified deacon, look first at his attitude, his character, and his life. And turn, if you would now, just back to 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. I want to kind of walk through this passage, not digging deep into the character uh, that's mentioned here, but I, I do want just to, to show you the emphasis is on character and not on skill, but just notice the, the, the words that are used here. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Then in verse 10, let them be tested, be found blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. In other words, they're, they're committed to, a one, to, to one woman, managing their children and their own households well. Isn't, the perfection is not there. You're going to have kids that are going to make noise and are going to fall flat on their face and sin. All kind of, th- th- those are understandable, but they're, they're managing well. They're dealing with things from a Christ-like way, right? For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So here we have these, these wonderful lists of qualification. Helpful, high, but needed. Right? So, first of all, there is this godly character that is part of the qualifications. Secondly, I want you to notice that both genders, both men and women, um, can be considered deacons. Now, when deacons are understood rightly in light of a plurality of elders, and only in that context, then we see clearly that deacons can be both men and women. Let me explain what I'm saying here. If a deacon has wrongly established a deacon board to lead the church, they're not elders. (laughs) They're not deacons. They're just a board of people who are functioning in violation of what Scripture says. And they may be called deacons, but that's not what they are. Then in that situation, there's a church that's that way, a woman should not be serving on that board. Why? Because they are reflecting what what elders should be doing. Right? Now, the real problem in that church is not whether you call someone one thing or another. It's that the church is wrongly using the title deacon for something that should be an elder and have not even brought the qualifications of that elder to bear in that leadership structure. Right? There needs to be a plurality of elders who are men and under them or working with them can be a group of men and women who are deacons. So let me put it this way. 
when there is a proper plurality of elders in place, then we can rightly understand that deacons can be both men and women. And we're going to see that. I want to take some time here to make sure that we see that from the text, from the grammar, the context, and the structure of this passage. First of all, if you would, please look at verse 11 and notice what it says. In the ESV, it says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, the word translated wives is the Greek word gynaikos. It's plural. Gynaikos would be the singular. And it can rightly be translated women. Wives, wives or women, wife or woman. Okay, That is how the New American Standard Bible translates this passage. That's how the, the, the Legacy Standard Bible translates this passage. It's how the New International Version translates and understands this passage. That it, it is women likewise must be. Notice also that in the ESV translation, you'll, you'll, you'll notice after the, the, the expression, their wives likewise or likewise must, if you're using a, an app, there's a, a number four. You guys see that in your text? All right? Little four, right there in the text, in verse 11. Why is that there? This is the translator's way of communicating to you that there is a legitimate alternate reading, and it's there in the margin for you. And it says, women, likewise must. Okay? So what I'm saying here is, although the ESV says, their wives, likewise must, the actual translation of it in my understanding, in my opinion, based on the context, is women likewise must. And I'm going to show you why. Also notice the word there at the beginning is not in the Greek text. It's just this word, women. The word there is used to smooth out the reading if wives is chosen as the preferred translation. That happens in translations, guys. Happens from language to language. Sometimes words are not actually in the, the Greek text, okay? So that's why we have to do careful study and look at these things. Now, grammatically then, this verse should read, women likewise must be dignified, right? Therefore, verse 11 is specifically uh, written to deacons who are women, okay? Secondly, I want you to notice the context. That was the grammar, now the context. And I want you to go back a few verses to chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, this is what we see. We see the same word translated women in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11, in verse 12, in verse 14. Same word translated women. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Uh, jumping down to verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. Let a woman learn quietly with all submission. I do not permit women to teach or exercise authority over a man. Verse 14, and, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgression. My point here is not to teach what's in that text. My point is to show you that the, the same word is translated woman just before this passage that's listing the qualifications where translators have chosen to translate it Wives. Now, in the New, New American, the Legacy, the NIV, they've all understood this is all referring to, to women. Okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and verse 12, we read in the ESV, husband and one wife, husband and one wife. But the words used in the Greek text literally mean a one-woman man 
one woman, men. The word woman. Okay? So that's the grammar, context, and now the structure. Structurally, this makes sense. What we have here in verses 8 through 13 are two bookends, general, general qualifications for a deacon, general instructions for a deacon, and verse 11 are unique qualifications for women. Verse 12 are unique qualifications for men. All right? Now, Pastor Rod, probably thinking this, why are you diving so deep in this text to make this point? Are you like a feminist pastor? And the answer is no. The reason I'm taking time to dive deep into this is because I do not want to be guilty of withholding from our sisters in Christ and the church of God what God has given uh, women freedom to do. If God is saying that women can serve in the office of deacon, why would I want to come by and say, no, they can't? And hear this, the office of elder is uniquely a male responsibility. And we want women in our church to do everything that God gives them freedom to do, as long as they're qualified to do it. We love our women. And so we want to make sure that we're not holding them back simply because they have a wrong understanding and interpretation of Scripture. So let's recap. Deacons must be Men or women who are first and foremost godly in their character. It is their godliness that is essential to being peacemakers and unity preservers. So, godly character, both genders. Third, committed to the local body of believers. See, these men were not brought from outside to help. These were brought from within the congregation. What is actually unique in this passage, Acts 6, is that all of these deacons, or all these men, I should say, that were chosen, were Hellenists, not Hebrews. Now, that's just that's a side note. There's some wisdom there to say, who would be not only gifted by virtue of their spiritual giftedness, qualification to do this, but also you have some people that can connect with these widows, these, these Hellenists, to make sure that they're being taken care of. Let's look out of a side note there. How does, how does someone demonstrate their commitment to the church? Well, we call it here church membership. Church membership is just a necessary requirement to be an elder and to be a deacon. I mean, it, doesn't, it wouldn't make any sense if we said, so-and-so is going to be an elder here at Gateway. We've, they've been at our church for two-something-plus years preparing to be an elder they're not members, but they're going to be an elder. You'd be like, what in the world is going on? Well, the same is true for the person that's going to be a deacon. They need to demonstrate their commitment by committing, <laughs> by saying, this is the body. These are the elders that I'm going to be serving under. This is the body that I'm going to be uh, you know, ministering to and facilitating. So, qualifications for deacon, godly character, both genders, committed to that local church through their membership. Third, the selection of deacons. This is something to say here from this passage that I think is helpful as far as process is concerned. The congregation identifies qualified men or women, and the elders appoint them. So in our text, the apostles ask the congregation, the brothers, 
And brothers there is not just talking about the men, it's talking about all of them, it's, it's, it's collective. To identify qualified men who could serve the body in this important task of preserving unity and caring for the needs of the Hellenist widows. Those individuals were recommended, and the apostles affirmed these recommendations with the laying on of hands. They were formally commissioned by the task. In other words, that congregation knew who these men were. They were the seven, right? Now, in the church, in a similar way, when the areas of responsibility are identified by the elders of the church where shock absorption is needed, the elders will turn to the congregation and ask for recommendations of men and or women who are qualified. And after they receive uh, those recommendations, the elders will prayerfully pursue those individuals and assess whether the recommendation of their biblical qualification is true or not, as well as whether that person is willing to serve in that capacity. You may be a spiritually qualified person, but at that point in time, you may not be willing for a number of different reasons. They can be good reasons. So please understand this. There is no sense in which the congregation forces the hand of the elders to appoint deacon candidates they have recommended. As if the congregation can say, well, we have, we have given these, these men to you or women to you. Now these have to be our deacons. No, the whole point of an eldership, one of them, is to oversee and care for the flock. And so elders are going to assess whether or not this person is actually qualified. And quite frankly, elders may know more about what's going on in that life of that person than you do. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the real thing. And maybe it's someone you think, is this person is spiritual, they're godly, they would fit this. The elders might say, you know, I understand how you're coming to that conclusion, but there's something going on in their life you don't know about it. They're not saying it to you, but I'm just saying this is what's happening. It's like, we don't think that that person um, should take that role right now because there's a spiritual struggle that they need to overcome. It's put back on the elders. The elders ultimately then will affirm and appoint them, and they will be publicly known as deacons in that church. Now, once the, the candidate has been assessed and interviewed and approved by the elders, there's, there's a public recognition going on here. Again, this is the elders and now and the congregation partnering together for the health and the well-being of the church. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it, when it's, when it's seen rightly in this context. That's the selection of deacons. Number four, the responsibility of deacons. What are they actually being called to do? Well, kind of in a general sense, doing what is necessary to liberate the elders to accomplish their God-given responsibilities. And you can flip that around by adding to that statement so as to serve the congregation and facilitate greater ministry. So based on the pattern established in Acts 6, it seems best to view elders, uh, view deacons as servants who do whatever is necessary to allow the elders to accomplish their God-given calling as shepherds and teaching just as the apostles needed to apply themselves to prayer and the study of the word, so the elders delegate these responsibilities so that they can focus on what is their primary role and responsibility. So each church will need to identify how this is all going to work out and what this looks like in, in the context of that church. Some, some churches will have a, a group of deacons that gather together monthly and talk about the needs of the church. They're not on the board. They're not making you know, big decisions for the church. They're carrying out the responsibilities delegated to them. 
Other churches will have, you know, maybe a few deacons that have different areas of responsibility that, that report directly to the elders. There's different ways that structure can be in place. That's just going to be determined by the nature of the church and what's going on and what the needs are. So what are some of the duties um, deacons might be responsible for today? Well, sometimes the need is seasonal. For example, um, last year we had a 10-year anniversary. That's a big deal. Not all on the shoulders of of the elders. We said as elders, hey, we want to have a 10-year anniversary you know, who can help us? And we found some people, and they oversaw it, and they carried it out, did a wonderful job. But that's the kind of thing that would be seasonal. Or church camp, seasonal. Let's do this. Elders don't have to have their hand in everything. They can't. Why? They have other things that they need to do. All right, the COVID-19 protocols. Boy, when that hit, we were like, all right, who's, who's going to oversee this? And, you know, as elders, we're like, uh... <laughs> You know, and people stepped up from the body of Christ. I'm just saying these are seasonal things that can happen where you say, hey, deacons, we need your help here. And you, we need your help to find the people that can do these things. But if you can oversee it, that's helpful, right? There are other things, though, that are maybe more long-term. And their responsibility can be anything that is not related to teaching and shepherding the church. But they're always under the oversight of the elders who are responsible to oversee. So here's some general examples, right? Just highlight a few of them. And we're not saying as a church here that we're looking to to create this here. These are just ideas to help kind of give you a visual understanding of what we're talking about, right? Uh, uh, Facilities, deacons can be responsible for managing the church, property. Um, This could include things like maintenance, setup, cleaning, and that kind of stuff. Benevolence, looking out for people in the congregation who have financial needs. Maybe distributing food or helping provide money or if there's an account that the church has where benevolence can be given, they're the ones that are assessing and determining who's need, who, who is need, uh, needing this and, and reporting to the elders, this is what we've done. Finances, right? Elders handle the overarching finances of the church, but deacons can serve by collecting the offering and counting it and keeping records and that kind of stuff. Ushers. Deacons can be responsible for greeting those in attendance, Distributing the bulletins, seating people, preparing elements for communion, providing security. It says here, buying donuts for people who come early. Um, something like that. I don't know. But, I mean, they can be doing those things, right? Events. Deacons can assist the elders by uh, listening to the elders' desire for a particular event and then recruiting a team and, and, and getting that event off the ground. Care. Deacons can be responsible Uh, to make sure that when someone is home from the hospital or lost a loved one or going through some crisis that meals are taken to them or grass is cut or whatever it might be. Uh, And then shut-ins. Deacons can visit with and take care of those in the church who cannot leave home or are living in a care facility. And I'm sure we could come up with more areas of responsibility and trying to give you an understanding. It's not that elders are above doing this stuff. Now, I'll just, I'll just let you know, I know we're, we're meeting in this church. When we started our church, we started our church at Creekside Middle School. So it was a middle school. And one of the wonderful things, at least I saw it as a pastor, I want to think some of you may think differently, but one of the wonderful things was that we had to set up every morning and we had to tear down. So when someone came to visit our church and they were like, hey, what can I do to get involved? We'd say, see that chair? Put it on that stack. I mean, it was really easy. It's like jump right in. 
and when church was done, you can just jump right in and be a part of what was going on, right? That was, that was a wonderful, wonderful circumstance. And we need people who are willing to jump in and to do that kind of thing. Deacons oversee that. And, the, and, and, and in that context, I just, I just remember what, the, what my, my elders and even other people in the church were saying. It's like, Pastor Rod, your job on a Sunday morning is preaching, but it's also greeting people as they leave. So they were like, don't you go around picking up a chair and helping out. That's, we'll take care of that. You go interact with the people. Right? That's not saying, well, you know, I used to do picking up chairs years ago, but now I've got my PhD. You know, we don't do that. No, that's got nothing to do with it. That has to, all has to do with people in the church saying, we want our pastor, we want our elders to be liberated to do what they need to do. Right? Taking that away from them. Right? So these are just some areas that we say are responsibilities. So let me give you a couple of examples here as to how they are providing shock absorption. If, if there is a deacon of finance, he or she will likely recruit others to help count the money to provide proper accountability and the, the right checks and balances. If there's a deacon of benevolence, they'll be taking on that responsibility of seeking out who has needs and what they're looking like and, and just making sure that those elders know about it but are shielded from the actual the logistics of actually getting it done, freeing them to do what they need to do. All right, number five here, the response to deacons. The congregation honors God by valuing, pursuing, and supporting the office of deacon in the church. Look at what happens when these seven take on the responsibility that they are given by these apostles in verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. Luke, as he's organizing his accounts of what's happening, wants us to see right on the back end of the choosing of these seven that this, this liberated gospel ministry, rather than squelched it. And so the response then to deacons is, we want them. Now, I, I don't want you to think that there aren't people in this church who are serving in many of these capacities that we had, right? When I said we had a, a, you know, a 10-year anniversary, there was a wonderful group of people that got together as a team and, and, and knocked it out of the park. It was wonderful. Church camp, again, a team got together. We just, in our church, have not formalized that deacon it yet. And that's part of the reason for us going through this mini-series is to make sure we understand what it looks like to, to you know, do away with the confusion and to bring the clarity to bear. So this is what it means to partner together. Elders liberated to be faithful to word ministry. Deacons preserving the unity of the body by attending to the physical needs of the flock. The congregation using their gifts to meet the needs of the body under the watchful care of the elders and the support of deacons. So three things that are mentioned in that statement I want to kind of pick apart just briefly. First of all, value the office of deacon. Deacons often work behind the scenes to make sure things get done. And I don't know that we always see that. Someone was here early this morning making sure things were picked up in the auditorium, cleaning the bathrooms, practicing with the band, folding bulletins, 
Right? People are doing things behind the scenes. Deacons do things behind the scenes. They're not looking for accolades. They're happy serving the Lord in that way. Why? So that gospel ministry can go forward. Okay? So they liberate the elders. They serve the congregation. They are essential for the health and well-being of the church. So we must value the office of deacon. Secondly, support the office of deacon. So as we, as we develop and we actually bring in formalized deacons and they are responsible for a particular area of ministry, support them by jumping in. We are partnering together as the church to accomplish the ministry that God has called this church to. So you're jumping in. I, you can't do everything. But you've got to determine what it is you can do. But as, as deacons are coming and saying, hey, we have this project, we have this need, we want to get this done, you may be someone who has the gifts and the skills that can get that done under that deacon's leadership and care. Here's the third thing. Pursue the office yourself. Now, not everyone in this church is going to be a deacon with a big D, which is the office. But we're all called deacons because the word deacon means servant, minister. We're all called then to look at the qualifications that are listed in these texts and say, I should be striving for these. They're not just there for the elders and for the deacons. They're there for the whole congregation. All of us should be pursuing what is considered to be maturity in Christ. All of us should be pursuing being blameless or having a good reputation within the body. I realize we all go through seasons of struggle and sin and we need the body to help us, but we should all be pursuing these things, right? So every believer should be pursuing a good reputation, being full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Those qualifications are not just for super-Christians, but all Christians. Now, we must remember that it is Christ who is the head of the body. It is Christ who is the cornerstone of the foundation, and we are all living stones. It is Christ who is the chief shepherd of his flock, and we all serve in different ways as sheep in that flock. It is God who is the father of the household, and we are all sons and daughters. Elders shepherd the flock under, uh, as under-shepherds of Christ. Deacons assist the elders and facilitate the congregation to use their gifts to serve Christ. And if we're true believers and want to glorify Christ, we, are, we all work for him ultimately. We all seek to do his will. We all want his gospel to be proclaimed. We all want to see God's children equipped and healthy and growing under him. That we're all partnering together under Christ. So deacons are an irreplaceable gift to Christ's church. They are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsible to tangible needs in the life of the church. In short, deacons make a difference in the life of a church. How? By what they do, serving the elders and the congregation, but also by who they reflect, the greatest servant of all. When Jesus walked the face of this earth, the office of deacon didn't exist. Yet his life 
had everything to do with it. In Isaiah 53, we find Jesus, the suffering servant. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. By, uh, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his words, we, the wounds, I should say, we are healed. If you are a deacon, if you are a servant, if you are serving, you are reflecting Christ in his suffering. You are also reflecting Jesus in the ransoming servant um, uh, motif or dynamic here of Mark chapter 10. And, and Jesus repeated this, but he kind of he adds to these repeated statements in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10 and verse 42. We find this, and Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransoming servant. Finally here, Jesus is the humble servant of Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Friends, when we serve one another, whether it's big D, little d, we are reflecting Christ who has served us. So not only do deacons you know, make a difference by what they do, they also make a difference by who they reflect. I wonder today whether God is stirring up in you just a willingness to be a servant. Not necessarily a deacon, but a servant. Would you meet the qualifications? What's holding you back from that? What would you need to do to, to make, make sure you're, you're, you're at that place where you're walking with God in the right sense? If the church came to you and said, you've been identified as someone who, who's godly, who can serve in this capacity, would you be willing to step in and to be a peacemaker and a shock absorber and a servant to the congregation to help facilitate gospel ministry in the context of the local church? As a church, we need to pray that God will raise up God-glorifying deacons because they're needed to help the leadership and to help facilitate the needs and the ministry of the church. Lord, help us today. We know that this is a, an important topic that is often misunderstood. And sometimes, Lord, it's even more difficult to apply. But Lord, give us wisdom. Give us as a church discernment. And as we seek to formalize this in our context, Lord, help us to take the things that we've learned as guardrails and, and guidance 
for what a deacon actually looks like? And Lord, would you raise up the men and women that you so desire to be shock absorbers for us as elders and to be facilitators to this congregation? And Lord, it's so easy to invest our time in this world in so many ways. And yet you've established this office of elder and you've established the office of deacon. Lord, would you raise up men and women who are so committed to the church that they liberate and facilitate this body with great joy and vigor in such a way, Lord, that they are glorifying you with their very lives. We ask this in your precious holy name. Amen.